Good morning. It's great to be with you again this morning. Uh, my name's Steve, and I hope wherever you are, you're warm. It's a chilly July morning, but uh, good to be together, even if it's virtually. You might have noticed, if you've been watching the news this week, that um, revered AFL master coach John Kennedy um, was buried. He was 91 years old, and I enjoyed reading an article about him in The Age because I'm old enough to remember him and old enough to remember the players that he coached, old enough to remember standing at the outside of uh, Glenferry Oval, which was like a little suburban footy ground that held about 10,000 people max, and you could stand about two, two rows back in, on tiered standing room and watch those players go round. But um, as they talked about John Kennedy, senior, they described his manner as being typical of his generation. Uh, he was diffident, shy, modest, but he was actually um, warm and unsparing in his demands on the players, um, but very, very sparing in terms of uh, praise for his players. And David Parkin uh, did a, a eulogy at the funeral, and one of, uh, he was one of the captains who'd uh, been a captain during a premiership year, and he told the story of how John... Kennedy had rung Don Scott, who was the ruckman for Hawthorne, uh, and he'd played in the 1971 grand final. And on one grand final morning, John Kennedy rang Don Scott to tell him that he'd played a really good game in that 1971 grand final. The interesting thing was that he made the, the phone call 27 years after the grand final itself. So uh, he'd waited 27 years to tell Scott. Well, Scott was so surprised by this call from John Kennedy that he immediately rang David Parkin and told him what had happened. And David Parkin was a little bit, um, I think, maybe envious, but he was also a bit incredulous, wondering whether it was true. So he rang John Kennedy himself and uh, he asked him whether it was true and whether he realised the magnitude of, of what he'd done in praising Don Scott. And uh, David Parkin heard from Kennedy, yeah, that was true. I made the call, and uh, he understood the implications of that for Don. And then David Parkin said, and so I, I, I said to John Kennedy, do you actually know my phone number? And uh, John said to David Parkin, well, yeah, I do, but... You're not going to get a call because you didn't play so good that day. But those who remember um, John Kennedy remember him as a, a thoughtful, uh, intelligent, contemplative uh, sort of guy who was uh, an educator and he was a hopeful man. And it's a paradox, I think, that his name has become synonymous with his most famous speech. I think it was half time in that 1971 grand final when Hawthorne beat St Kilda by seven points. But his words were... Um, don't think, don't think, it's not time to think, it's time to do, it's not time to hope, it's time to act. And I guess in the context of a footy game you can understand what that means, but uh, it's been remembered as don't think, just act. And uh, interesting that a man who is so intelligent is remembered in that way. But, you know, in the first chapter or chapters of the uh, letter to the Ephesians that we've been looking at over these last weeks, Paul has helped his readers to think to really think about the good news, the good news of Jesus. And now from chapter 4 onwards, he's calling on them, he's urging them like a, like a coach, not just to think, but to do, to act on what they know. And the first thing that he... Um, oops, I've gone too fast. Too far. Here we go. The first thing that he, he says is to walk worthy. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling 
you've received. Walk worthy, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. For followers of Jesus, our calling came in the form of the good news of Jesus. It was a calling that summoned us to believe in Jesus as the risen Lord, as the King, and to give him the undivided allegiance of our lives. It was a calling, as Troy's talked to us about, it was a calling that changed our identity. Who we are is no longer defined by what we do or by what other people think of us. It's defined in relation to Jesus. It's defined in relation to whose we are. God has poured out his love on us. We've experienced his grace. We talked about that last week. That's his undeserved loving kindness. We've experienced that. He's rescued us from our old dead way of life, that self-gratifying path that led away from God. And he's made us fully alive in Christ, in him. And he's seated us alongside Jesus in the heavenly realm so that who we are is whose we are and where we are. And you say, well, how do we walk worthy of a calling like that? How do we walk worthy? Well, I don't think this is a call to live such a good life that I become worthy of God's calling. God's called us lovingly. He's called us by his grace. It's a gift that we don't deserve. We can't earn it, but we're his. But clearly the call to followers of Jesus is to leave behind their old life and to embrace a radically transformed lifestyle patterned after the way of Jesus. Paul says in another place that we've been bought with a price and therefore... We're called to glorify God with our actions. We're to live in view of or in the light of our calling, in the light of the good news that's transformed us through the power of God's spirit, God's very presence that's come to live within us. And Paul says, because you've been strengthened by the spirit, you've got a new power. You've got God's personal presence in you so that you can now live in a new and different way. And it's all about him. I wonder what it will look like for us to walk worthy of our calling. Paul mentions in this passage that uh, Johnny read to us so well that we're one body. There's one body. And the body of Christ is a, a term that's used in the New Testament to refer to the church. And Paul says there's one body. He's referred to it already in the book of Ephesians, but now he comes to describe how that body is to work in this chapter 4. That new and different way of life, that walking worthy life, requires that we be humble, that we be gentle, that we be patient with each other, that we bear with one another in love. And Paul is at uh, pains to emphasise that unity within this body is critical. And he lists seven things for which there's only one. He says there's one body, there's one spirit, there's one hope, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, and there's one God and Father. And so these are things that followers of Jesus believe and share. And so Paul introduces this idea of the body um, as a, a description of the people of God. So what do we think about when we think about the body? We realise that Walking this worthy life is not a solo walk. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. It's not just me and my Bible and, and out there I go and, and be God's person. This is what, in the very end of chapter 4, Paul says. He says, From him, from Jesus Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, the human body is a fantastic image, I think, 
of the interdependence of the parts that need to be working together to make up a working whole. If one part fails, the, the whole, or fails to work properly, the whole body suffers. As you get older, like me, you realise how important all the little bits are and how much you uh, suffer when one little bit isn't working. So when, you, when you're younger, just appreciate your, your youth. But there's some other great images, I reckon, of, the, of the, uh, this sense of the body, the interdependence. We've talked about football. I've got a picture of some Hawthorne footballers there. But a football team is a, a great example of a thing that only functions effectively when each part does its work. You've probably heard it said that a champion team would most often beat a team of champions. Uh, and that's because they work as a team. They're united and they're interdependent and they work together. But another example that I read about this week... Uh, is what in Australia we call the blue bottle. It's what if you see on a beach you run away from because it has a nasty sting. Uh, but many people apparently mistakenly think of a blue bottle as a jellyfish, but it's not. It's actually a, a colony of four um, distinct types of what they call polyps, P-O-L-Y-P-S. Um, the bit that you see on the top in that picture, uh, they call that the float sail, and it's really involved in transportation so that the thing can move. It, only, it doesn't actually move, it just moves because of the wind, but it's like a blown-up balloon, and it's the main part. Um, and then the other parts are all attached, and these three additional polyps, they've got distinct re- uh, uses. One is for capturing food, one is for digestion, and one is for reproduction. And uh, they're so tightly integrated together, these organisms, that they're un- un- unable to survive apart from... The colony, the only exception to that is the sail polyp on the top and all the others are actually formed from that sail polyp. So the body parts for the blue, pot, the blue bottle are really simple. Fascinating fact though, the, uh, the tentacles that go down can go down as far as 50 metres from this little thing that starts. Um, but that's just by the way. But the parts are simple. They're either for transportation, they're either for digestion, they're either for food capture or they're for reproduction. And there's no question about their role. Each part does its part and the thing functions. Now, the church, um, the body of Christ, is a much more complex uh, organism, if you like, with many more parts. And each, each part of the, the church comes with a history of actually acting independently rather, in, rather than interdependently. But the Blue Bottle is a great illustration, I think, of the unity of purpose that the diverse parts of the body are called to achieve as they work together. And so the body of Christ, rather than being like a a herd of independent creatures who travel together, is called to be a single body uh, with Christ as the head. Well, we've said that we need to um, walk uh, worthy of our calling. We've said that there's one body, but we also realise that in that one body there are many parts. And so as Paul stresses the unity of the body, he also notes that one body has many parts and each part uh, serves a unified purpose, the building up of the body. He says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. God has given particular functional roles to the church to equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. And so we have these five, um, they call it the five-fold ministries uh, mentioned here. We have apostles. And apostles are the sort of people who ask the question, are we leading the people of God to the new place that God is calling them to? And then we have prophets. And the prophets are asking themselves, 
are the people of God hearing God's voice and are they responding appropriately to the word of God? Evangelists are asking all the time, are new people entering God's kingdom? Are we reaching new people for the kingdom? Pastors are asking, are the people of God caring for each other and showing compassion for people? And teachers are asking, are the people of God immersing themselves in the word of God and are they applying biblical principles to their lives and are they living them out? And so God has given these people to the church and all are functioning. Why? To prepare God's people so that they can serve. Why? So that the body itself is built up in love. And so we have one body but many parts and yet we also have just one goal and the goal is spelled out in in verse 13 it says until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of god and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of christ and then speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Now, in between those two verses, that the last two slides, there was a, a verse that talked about immaturity, that there's the potential for us to, uh, when we're young in the faith, to be like babies, uh, to be blown about and tossed about by every uh, wind and uh, to be uh, vulnerable to the schemes of cunning tricksters. And so there's a process in going from immaturity to maturity. But maturity is defined as every Christian in the body moving closer and closer to being an accurate reflection of Jesus. Likeness is what we've called this morning's topic. It's actually being conformed to the likeness of Jesus, the whole measure, it says, of the fullness of Christ. And so maturity for the follower of Jesus is measured by the standard of the King, Jesus' fullness. What was Jesus like when we become more and more and more conformed to his image, then the body is becoming mature. And so it's measured by that standard, the standard of the king's fullness. And so the question for us this morning is, how are we going as a church? The measure is, are we becoming more and more like Jesus? It was great to hear Ash talk about how a a small group had been a significant part in helping him to connect and become more like Jesus. It was great to see on the Alpha uh, video just how a group of people and being brought into a group helps someone to come to understand more about Jesus. There's a sense in which iron sharpens iron and when people meet together and encourage and motivate each other they're, they're, and around the word of God that then they become more and more like Jesus. So we need to ask ourselves, how are we going as a church? Are we becoming more and more like Jesus. As I reflected on this week, I realised that I am incredibly thankful for the people who played a part in the life of the body of Christ to help build me up as a follower of Jesus. Sometimes it was speaking the truth in love, often it was encouragement, often it was teaching, it was just being there for me in difficult times. So I just wanted to reflect on some of those with you. You won't know these people but I hope they speak something to you about what maybe your role in the body could be. I'm thankful for a man by the name of Lionel Press who taught me and other young boys in Sunday school 
And he modeled before us a life of faith and humility. And he loved Jesus. And it rubbed off on us. Lionel was doing his part in building up the body. I'm also thankful for a guy named Russell Morton who taught me and other teenagers in a, in a teenage Bible class and he showed us that the Bible was relevant and reliable and it could stand up to academic scrutiny and he was also uh, brave enough to take a group of a 16 of us when I was only 13 years old on a, on a bushwalk through the Cradle Mountain National Park in Tasmania. He built us together as a group but he taught us the Bible and he made us see that the Bible was relevant. Russell was doing his part in building up the body. I'm incredibly thankful for a couple by the name of uh, Kevin and June McKay who ran Adanac Lodge as a Christian camp and they gave me opportunities during my teenage years to lead and serve and we learned how to share the love of God and the good news of Jesus with uh, young people in that environment. Kevin and June were doing their part in building the body. I'm also thankful for an older man named Roy Hill Uh, He was the father of one of my friends, a number of my friends, and he encouraged us to memorise parts of the Bible so that we, he would say, so be ready at any time to give a quiet and reverent answer to anyone who asked us for a reason for the hope that we had. Roy, in encouraging us to do that, was doing his part in building the body. I'm thankful for Peter and Pam Hill and Ken and Kathy Rowe, who included us, me and my wife, in a Saturday morning small group. When we were newly married, we didn't have any kids. They already had kids. And we benefited so much from their love, their love for God, their love for us, and their wisdom as more mature followers of Jesus. They were doing their part in building the body. I'm thankful for a guy called Bruce Crowther who taught us at Bible College. Bruce and his wife, Margaret, they lived the most uncluttered, available lives. I distinctly remember Bruce saying, things like this he'd say never sink your roots so deep in one place that if God asked you to move it'd be too hard and uh, that stuck with me Bruce was the sort of guy who oscillated between serving God in Papua New Guinea and, and teaching in a Bible college he was the sort of guy who could have packed up all his belongings in the back of a trailer and driven somewhere else the next day it was that easy for him and it was that message to us about not being so entrenched I remember Bruce speaking quite firmly to me uh, in love about where my priorities should lie and what my, my vocation might look like. See, Bruce was doing his part in building the body. I'm thankful for a lady who's in her 90s now who's just lost her husband. Her name is Daphne Sweeney. And when I was going through a humbling sort of transition in my life, she suggested that maybe God was dealing with my pride. I think she was right. She wasn't being critical or harsh. She just wanted me to become more like Jesus. She had a contentment in Jesus that was so attractive. And in her 60s, um, she and her husband, when other people were retiring, they went to PNG to serve God. And they were the only white people in a little village that was only accessible by train, by by plane, sorry. And their their, um, sacrifice uh, in those days spoke volumes to me, how much they loved Jesus. And just one last one, I'm thankful for a guy named Robert Freeman who, who made himself available to me as an older mentor at a time when I needed it most. Robert is a man with a, a rare insight into the Bible. He loves Jesus and he gave his time generously encouraging numerous uh, younger men like me. See, Robert was doing his part in building the body. You know, I could go on. I haven't even got to uh, day, the last 20 years, our time at New Community. 
But I wonder how, how God might be inspiring or prompting you this morning about the part he wants you to play in his body. You see, we build each other up to maturity as we share life together. It's as we pray and learn together. It's as we serve together that we sharpen each other. That might be via a triplet that you meet with regularly. That might be via a home group where, as Ash shared, you become vulnerable and share life and spur each other on to love and to good deeds. It might be by offering hospitality. It might be by being in an accountability group where you ask each other hard questions just to make sure that you're being honest and keeping on track and serving God with your heart. It might be just by offering a word of encouragement. In this environment, it might be a time when you can make a phone call that would mean a lot to someone else just to let them know that you care about them and that you're thinking of them. It might be when you actually speak the truth into someone's life in love, when you see them going in a direction that's not helpful, that's not, not leading them towards conformity to the, the image of Jesus. Those things are hard to do. But when you've built a relationship with someone, when you love someone, they usually accept that because they know that you care. You're not doing it in a harsh way or a critical way, but you're doing it because you love them. At New Community, I'm thankful for my home group. I'm thankful for my, my breakfast buddies we meet with quite regularly. I'm thankful for our staff team. I'm thankful for our church council. I'm thankful for our finance committee. We're all so different. There's many of us and we're different. But God has brought us together for a single purpose. And that purpose is so that the body might be built up and formed more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus the one who's the same yesterday and today and forever. Because, you know, it's all about him. Now, as we, we close this morning, I just want to pray. We're going to listen to a beautiful song in a moment. It's a song that talks about him. It talks about who he is and what he's done for us. But I want to pray about us and what it might mean for us to be part of that body, a body that's made up of many parts, and a body that has a goal of reaching maturity so that we're all more and more and more conformed to the image of Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for our time together this morning and we thank you for reminding us that you've placed us in a body. We're not to be lone rangers in our life before you. We're to serve each other and we're to be the sort of people who work together to build each other up in love. Father, if that involves speaking truth into someone's life, we pray that you'd give us the courage. If that involves encouraging someone today, we pray that you would do that through us. Father, we pray that if that involves us in taking a step of asking some other people to meet with us, maybe in a triplet, maybe being, becoming a more active part of a home group, we pray that you might Give us the courage to make those moves today so that we might be part of a body that's growing more and more and more into your likeness because it's all about you and we thank you for who you are this morning and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.